Thanks for joining us for another Bible study. Today, we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy 18. And really the main theme that goes throughout this chapter is the idea that as you go into other cultures, which all of us are in many different cultures, you have to have eyes that look to evaluate what could be displeasing to God so that you can avoid it and not allow it to influence your life. So we're going to look at this on multiple levels, how it impacts us individually, how it can impact us as parents or as families, how it impacts us as Christians. It's going to be a very dynamic look at this, and I know it's going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for joining us today. If you are new to being a disciple, or you would like to grow in your understanding of the practices that are vital to connecting with God on a regular basis, the Tree Church Classes is releasing an updated version of Intro to Christian Habits. This is a six-session masterclass that you can access on the Tree Church website and app. This course will guide you through habits such as prayer, worship, Bible study, gathering together, and generosity and why they are so important to establish in our lives. This class is free and available for you to start anytime after May 15th, 2022. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to another Bible study. Today, I am joined by Pastor Brandon and Pastor Michael. And guys, last week we were the team and uh, they brought us back, which I'm hearing the rumor that it was the, the best one they've ever had. The reviews are in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, good. like the, the amount of views on it went from, I mean, just went from three, like seven three to more ten. all related to me. Exactly. Exactly. So, all right. Before we get going, let's learn a little bit about each one of you. So here's the, I'll do the first question. What's the weirdest thing you eat? So the thing that you eat that other people find just. Just like, yeah. what? So I'll, t- <laughs> I couldn't do it immediately. Yeah, yeah I got I you. Prep him. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got this. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Uh, I'll take a tortilla um, and put cheese in it and put it in a microwave. And that's it. <laughs> Just that? Just that. Mm. Yeah. If, you, if I were to rank. Also, this is worse. Okay. I have a new answer. Um, <laughs> somebody asked me recently what my favorite food was. Like if you were about to, like if you're at the end of your life, you get one more meal. And I said it was a tie between like a, like a great pan seared ribeye. Or an El Monterey microwavable burrito. That might be my favorite. <laughs> Talk about extremes. Yeah, so for real. Extreme. One is like super high end. The other super one's like, end. you okay? Yeah. <laughs> You're going through a hard time. TV dinners. <laughs> like a ribeye. Like it's probably aged. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, dry aged. Like it's yeah. made in like a compound butter or yeah. a microwave burrito. Not oh, proud man. of it. That's yeah. so sad. <laughs> so sad. Right. Brandon. All right. So please do not judge me. <laughs> I've done this since I was a kid. My kids now do it. I eat raw noodles. What? Yeah, I like the crunch <laughs> of it, the texture of it. Oh my goodness! When you say raw, you mean not cooked? Uncooked noodles. Yeah. Like wow. spaghetti? Yes. Like barilla, yes. like out of a box, yes. just munch on. Yes. It. Yes. <laughs> right on the nose. All right. Yes. So describe for me when this takes place. Like, what <laughs> yeah, is going on? <laughs> is this like a midnight snack? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Is it like one? And you're like, oh, I'm bored, yeah. or are I don't you like, cook I'm it. hungry? Breaks no, no, no. Like if I'm prepping a meal that includes that that uh, food, I will just like, hey, I'm just going to take a bite of this or whatever. I know it's so <laughs> odd, and it's like oh, up man. in like the piker range of like the odd things that people eat. But, but, the piker range. But yeah, yeah I, I just I've you always told me you've eaten that. raw beef before too, right? Yeah, I grew up doing that. Yeah, for sure. I, this makes like me look like a sick, like a weirdo. We just saw yeah. Mackie do that on Monday. Uh, yeah. We were cooking something in the kitchen. He walked by and threw a raw piece of meat in his mouth. Yeah, and me and Mick were like. 
What? Yeah. <laughs> no way. Is he all right? He's fine. I mean, he's still alive. <laughs> like, I don't know. He, he called off today. I don't know. What's yeah. For me, uh, every time I tell people this, they just all think I'm joking. It's I eat lots of ketchup on a tuna fish sandwich. <laughs> My dad did it. So this guy, like what you're saying, you do something weird, your kids yeah, do something weird. Yeah. My dad did it. I didn't know it was weird until I got to college. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, and I, I put the more ketchup the better on tuna. Yeah, but you like ketchup nice. in general, right? I mean, just I do. To, yeah, I was raised day. in a family that, uh, yeah, like so. If I'm eating a hamburger or uh, a hot dog, it's like drowning. Ketchup. <laughs> it's really just a ketchup delivery system <laughs> sure, at yeah. that point. So, all right. Uh, the other thing, um, what is one place you still would like to travel someday? Oh, someplace man. you want to go and, and visit. Yeah, for me, a bucket list would be, believe it or not, even though I hate cold weather, is Alaska. I just think okay. it's like this place where there's so many territories that are unexplored, and not that I'm going to go ex explore them, but just the vastness of it and the beauty of it, I think would be so much fun. And just uh, doing all the activities that are included there, you know, hiking, fly fishing, even dog sledding, like would just be such a, yeah. a fun thing for me to be able to. If you were to like show me a picture of you and ask like, where does he want to travel? I would guess Alaska. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, that guy wants to go to Alaska. You yeah. can tell. <laughs> For me, uh, my family's from Ireland, and so I think that'd be cool. Mm -hmm. My great-grandfather came from there, mm -hmm. and I've never been. That's something there. Before I die, I want to get there for sure. All right. Are you, are you really from Ireland? Didn't you do a test and it said you weren't from Ireland? Or? That, that's Italy. So my oh, mom's Italy, family right. is very Irish, and thank goodness that that turned out to be accurate because <laughs> right. I, I don't think they'd make it. But my dad, like our last name is Giacomone. They all look Italian. They all like they're really proud of it. And then everyone took the ancestry thing and it came back that no one has any Italian. Oh, no. and everyone was so devastated. <laughs> <laughs> really? It really shook up the family dynamic. Oh, no. <laughs> My oh, dad no. went through an identity crisis. <laughs> you would. With a name like Giacomone. I mean, yeah, like, it's like such a prideful thing. And you just guys like, look Italian. It, yeah, yeah. All of it. Yeah. Make, so know, maybe Not even like thing. within the territory of it? Nope. Oh, Not no, even. No, like there's like, it. I think like 2% Northern Italy. But that, but even that's like you're pro probably more English. <laughs> it's not. Oh, yeah, man. you know, here's what's even funnier. Our last name's Giacomoni. When you go look at last names in Italy, it's not even a real last name. There's like a lot of Giacominis, oh, really? so they think some guy like like illegally immigrated to Italy just changed his last name to something that sounded Italian. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Heritage. Yeah. yeah, some shifty guy. Yeah. So oh, my family is in shambles. Everyone's struggling, but we'll be okay. <laughs> You know, for me, I, I'm realizing, I mean, I love to travel. I love checking out new places. I, I think um, I want to do like the Pauline journey of mm -hmm. all the different places oh, cool. he went. Oh, that area. Cool. I just think to be cool. Yeah. I think once I went to Israel, it, it so changed how I read scripture. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. That I, even to this day, like when I read about Jesus, like I can visualize some of the places. And so I, I think it'd be cool like to do the same for what That'd Paul awesome. did. So, hmm. all right. Well, today we are continuing in our study of Deuteronomy. We're going to be in chapter 18. Um, as with many of the, the themes in Deuteronomy, there's a layering to it. We were kind of joking before we went live um, that he just was doing this because the people were so hard-hearted and they just kept messing up. So he just keeps saying the same thing over and over. So there's some redundancy to it, but we're going to just take time to go a little bit deeper into each of these ideas. So some of these things we've addressed in previous Bible studies, but we know some people are joining us each week, so we don't want to just skip over something sure. for that reason. So in, the, in this passage, it actually has basically three separate ideas. First, he's going to talk about how they respond to the priest, which are those, the Levites that are called to oversee the worship in their communities. So even in their individual communities, in the main spiritual community hub of Jerusalem with the temple worship, um, at this point it would have been tabernacle worship. And again, all of this was speaking into the future. Deuteronomy, they were still at a point where they hadn't taken right. the promised land. 
but he was just saying, hey, make sure you take care of, of who God has chosen. We're going to look at that story. Uh, we're going to look at also the impact of culture in our life and how he's warning them, when you go into this new land, you have to be careful to protect your minds and hearts. And I mean, obviously that's relevant to every generation, but it even seems more so because of so many things that have the ability to influence us. So we're going to talk right. about that. Yeah. And then lastly, he's going to talk about this idea of this prophet that's coming after them and how they can judge this prophet or prophets that would come after. Um, there's some beautiful imagery that that he could have been prophetically speaking about Christ, mm-hmm. uh, but then also other leaders in between. So we got a, a lot of different topics we're going to look at today, uh, a really good stu- study. But let's just begin. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and then we'll start breaking it down. In, in uh, verse 1, he says, The Levitical priest, all the tribes of Levi, shall have no portion or inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the Lord's food offerings as their inheritance. They shall have no inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them. And this shall be the priest's due from the people, from those offering offering a sacrifice, whether an ox or a sheep. They shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach, the first fruits of your grain, of your wine, and of your oil, and the first fleece of your sheep you shall give them. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the name of the Lord, uh, him and his sons for all time. And if a Levite comes from any of your towns out of all Israel where he lives, and he may come where he des- when he desires to the place that the Lord will choose, and ministers in the name of the Lord his God, like all his fellow Levites who stand to minister there before the Lord, then he may have equal portion to eat besides what he receives from the sale of his patrimony. So a lot of kind of complicated things here. So let me just take a moment. I'm going to break it down, guys, and then I'm going to throw you some questions sure. here yeah. in a moment. So I promise everyone else I'm not going to talk the in- entire time. <laughs> uh, but what's going on here is l- let's just kind of break this down. The Levitical priests are literally those who came from the tribe of Levi. And, and so what I think is so cool about this story that I'm about to tell is it really powerfully illustrates God's redemption. Right. So uh, let me jump all the way back. When God decided to create a nation for himself, he started with Abraham. Abraham had uh, a son, Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Through Jacob, the line would, would continue to be God's chosen people. Jacob had 12 sons. Uh, those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, with a, a little um, exception in that, uh, where, where Joseph's two sons took the place of Joseph and Levi. So we're going to talk about that and how that happened in a moment. But one of the sons was Levi. And what's interesting, if, if you uh, study this, which I just got done, I, I am reading through the Bible chronologically right mm-hmm. now. I, I just try to change things up uh, for a freshness. So I'm even reading from a different translation, the New Living Translation, which I really like. Mm-hmm. But in it, I was just reading about it within the last month or so. And uh, Levi kind of had a, a bad start in Scripture. Levi mm-hmm. and, and Simeon really had a heart toward justice. They had a sister that, this is a tragic story, a sister that was raped by this man. There was no consequences to the guy initially. And uh, and oddly enough, he wanted to actually then go and marry her. I mean, it really is just this awful story to read. Well, no one did anything about it. So Simeon and Levi went and killed this man, his father, and all the men in the community. Mm-hmm. And uh, And when he did, he was rebuked by Jacob for potentially bringing destruction upon them. He's like, you just killed every man in a community. These other nations could attack us. So like, that's the first part that we see Levi, you know, kind of a, a bad beginning to his, what would become his generations. Right. Mm-hmm. Later on, his father, Jacob, 
prophesize over each kid. I think we just had a conversation about this last week. Mm-hmm. Prophesize over each kid before he passes away. And they are the strangest <laughs> prophecy slash blessings. You yeah. know, like you would picture as a dad, you'd be like, you know, long life right. and, and wealth and stuff. Right. But he's like, may you wander the wilderness for the rest of your life. <laughs> you will be at war nonstop, right? So he says about Simeon and Levi, he's like, like basically, I'm hands off with you. I don't want your counsel. You right. guys are violent people. And he says, you will be scattered among your brothers. So just note that because he's speaking this prophetic word that at that moment, I think it sounds negative. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then we, we keep seeing the tribe of Levi in scripture. So the next time we see him is again in violence, but yet this time it's in violence for God. Right. Mm-hmm. So Moses goes up on the mountain. He comes down. The people are worshiping the golden calves. If you don't know the story, you can read about it in Exodus. They're worshiping the golden calves. Moses just gets up and goes, I need someone to stand with me and with God. And, and I'm going to call you to do something very violent. You're going to put to death those around you, your brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. even children, whoever it might be around you that are dishonoring God right now. Who stands with me? And the tribe of Levi stands up and right. says, we are with God. So they go out and, and they, they inflict justice. And, and there's like 3,000 people that are killed that day by their swords. God in that moment actually sets them apart. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you were willing to make those sacrifices on my behalf And so he sets them apart and says, now you will be my children. Actually takes them out of their tribe completely, out of Jacob and his line and says, I'm going to be your father. You're my children now. I'm I'm taking you separate. And it's it's remarkable because from that point on, when they go into the promised land and land is distributed, they don't get any land. They don't get like a designated zone for them. Mm -hmm. Instead, they are scattered among their brothers. Mm -hmm. They are scattered in every single community to be the religious leaders over the tabernacle and then what would become the, tim- the, the temple. So they basically became what I think modern day language, the pastors of right. their communities. Yeah. And so that prophecy came true that they were scattered among their brothers, but that prophecy was redeemed by God. Mm-hmm. I think it's such a cool story. Mm-hmm. And so what Moses is saying here is that don't forget them. Yeah. Don't forget these individuals and how God says, I'm going to take care of them is you're going to be faithful to make sacrifices to me, to God, but that portion is going to be given to the Levites so that they can not just survive, they can thrive wow. because yeah. they're my people. Okay. I, I just talked for a long time, but <laughs> let's, just, super good. Thank you. let's just talk about for a moment, just idea of God's powerful redemption in our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us as pastors, we get to see this so often, these tragic stories, these, these stories of brokenness and sin and, and what seems impossible to change. And yet we see God change. We guys each just take a moment and just maybe if you have a story to share or just that concept in general, what it means to you. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, even when I hear that story, I think about my own life and my own impulses. And, um, you know, I believe wholeheartedly, I believe when James says our desires lead us into temptation Mm -hmm. and and brokenness and sin, I believe that's true. But I do believe that the reason why we feel things because we're image bearers of God, we're made in his image. The genesis of it is something holy. So, for instance, justice, that's holy. Now, a very broken interpretation of justice, all right, well, now let me go kill everybody because I'm angry that this bad thing happened, right? That's what we do as humans. Mm -hmm. We take a good thought. You can talk about sexual sin in the same way. Sexuality is beautiful. should be Mm -hmm. celebrated within a marriage context, and what that means and how great it is can very easily be perverted. So I think about, specifically with the Levites, this impulse for seemingly like violence and just like, yep, I'm willing to do the hard thing. That's something that I've tried to focus on a lot in my life. I'm like, okay. There are things that make me unique as a person. There are things that I'm passionate about, things that I care about, and very easily I could allow those things to be very ugly. Mm-hmm. I could allow them to be hurtful. I could allow them to hurt other people, hurt my wife, hurt my kids. 
Um, I think passion for me is one of them. You guys know me, have known me for a long time. And you know right. that like, I'm known for saying like, something's the best ever or the worst <laughs> ever. <laughs> like I feel things yeah. really deeply mm-hmm. that can be really great. And it can lead people into cool stuff. And it can show people that, that beautiful things are worthy of your energy and your passion. Yeah. It can also be horrible. You could be <laughs> like, it can be really distracting. It can mean I'm passionate about 10,000 things. So nothing gets done. And it can, it has a lot of consequences in that way. So when I read about the Levites, it's a reminder of, Hey, some of the stuff you deal with can be used as an asset. It can be something beautiful for the kingdom of heaven, or it could not be. Right. And I always want to be so intentional, but to steward over what I have. Well, I want to look at what God has given me. I want to look at the passions that he's given me, even okay. some of the impulses he's given me. And mm-hmm. I want to steward it in a way that's going to honor him and honor those around me. Yeah. yeah so sure. since I've, you said we've known each other for years now, you tell stories like you and your sister are the best storytellers alive. <laughs> and I, and, uh, and I'm, I mean that. So you say stuff like that. This is the best ever. But I literally mean like you guys are the best storytellers. But when you tell stories of yourselves as kids, it's, it's really bizarre. Like, so you will, will paint pictures of yourself as rebellious, somewhat of a punk. Yeah. But yet, when I hear this story, so get, let me finish this sentence because it sounds like an insult. Just to leave you. it there. <laughs> yeah. Grow up. All right. <laughs> I hear your stories and I go, that's the same person mm. that entire time, from as kid to who you are now. Yeah. A lot of opinions, <laughs> a lot of passion. Sure. The difference is a submission to God. And, yeah. and you'll be the first to say it because you told a, a really powerful story. I, I don't know if this was in a Bible story or, or study or if you just I think it was. Surprised. I think it was last week's Bible study. Okay. Yeah. Where you submission. talked about, yeah. Yeah. Where you had someone confront you and, and you had an emotional response yeah. to it where you went, I am rebellious. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see it now. And then it changed. God redeemed that to turn you into easily one of the most submissive people I know, uh, but still same passion, sure. same you know opinions about a lot of things, but now it's submitted to God and God redeemed. And that's Absolutely. what he did. Again, you look at the Levites, their story is so bizarre because <laughs> even Moses is like, I need you to stand with me. And it was almost like they were like, yeah, we're your man. Mm-hmm. Like we, we got, this. Yeah. got your back. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is like a generational thing. But he took a potential generational curse, Absolutely. flipped wow. it around, and became the generational blessing. It's so redemptive. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And for me, I celebrate stories. One of the things that I highlight in groups specifically is guys. Give me stories. I want to hear stories of right. life change. And we get those. And it's so amazing even to watch every single testimony and how it impacts people's lives when they're truly submitting to Christ. And and just to kind of flip it back as you told your story, my story is somewhat similar. I was not, like I always say, raised in, in the church. And I would al- often liken myself to like a stray dog. You know, I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. scripture use references like orphans, you know. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that I was rebellious against God and that I didn't want anything to do with him. I was just ignorant of him. I didn't know anything right. about him. Right. And so when God started pulling at my heart and drawing me into the church, for me, it was like I had the responses of a stray dog. You know, I was wandering. I was lost. I yeah. was, you know, unsure of where my security and hope and all these things would come from. And then I found God. I discovered God. And God stepped into my life as that person, my, my Holy Father who can provide for me. And those are still things that are wishy-washy at times in my life. Mm-hmm. But if always I run back to God, God redeems that and shows me once again, like where I find my strength, where I find my hope, where I find my security. It always is in him. And it, it just, it came from a, a situation in a season where I was so lost. I was so scared. I was so frightened. I didn't know because I didn't truly have the spiritual guidance of my heavenly father. Right. And, and when you know that grace, so at first it's a, it's a concept. So you're in ignorance and you, you start to learn there, there's probably confusion about it, but the mm-hmm. more secure you come, come to being in God's grace, the more you can grow, the more he can redeem Absolutely. because Failure doesn't cause you to run away from God. Mm-hmm. It causes you to run toward him. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what I've learned so much in my life was 
I, I, it's very similar. I, I was a very strong-willed kid. Both of us are eights on Enneagram. So mm-hmm. like we're strong-willed, strong opinions. Yeah. When it was negative, I was disrespectful. I was rebellious. I was cocky. When I submitted to God, he started to change that. But I had a, a high justice concept in my mind, even against myself. Where I was like, mm-hmm. Matt, you're the yeah. failure. Like, yeah. And I remember my, part of my testimony is like, I said to God, I literally said these words to God. When I get more disciplined, I'll follow you because uh, in my mind, I had to do it. What changed in my life is understanding, no, God's grace is there in every failure. So wow. now I run to God when I fail. I run to God when mm-hmm. I fail so he can continue to redeem my failures, my yeah. brokenness. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, again, that's why I love these stories because it shows us God didn't give up on a, a family. He didn't give up on a person. He didn't give up on a, a reputation or a legacy. Uh, he redeemed it. Yeah, and I think sure. what's so great about that is he could have. Yeah, like totally. God oh, yeah. would have been acting in perfect justice if you would looked at the Levites, been like, nope, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. you're 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 chaos, you're violent people. I'm sorry, you're not you're not fit. And He could do that with every single one of us in any moment. But the fact that over and over again He chooses to partner with broken people, mm-hmm. and He allows it, and, and He encourages us, and He convicts us, and He leads us into something better is just such. I mean, it's one of the greatest privileges. Yeah, and just to add human. on to that, when I was studying the roles of the Levites for whatever reason, I always pictured them as like these very somber like men <laughs> who were just like giving the word of God to people, right. you know that type of thing it talked a lot about their responsibility being guarding the temple guarding the word of god and how god used that history even to make them warriors for christ make them Mm -hmm. you know for god at that time but you know it's such a cool concept that he transformed them in that way yeah yeah he he took the way that they were designed he took the what could be potential negative Mm -hmm. and absolutely used it for his own glory Yeah. yeah it's so cool all right, so we'll go on. And now he's going to transition and talk to them about, because all of this, again, just to want to remind everyone, he's speaking into the future because they will go into the promised land. They will establish themselves. So the, when he talks about the Levites, they're going to go into the communities. He talks about this place that will be established. We now have the hindsight of knowing that was Jerusalem. Right. Um, but in this time, he's kept, so he keeps speaking into the future. But one of the things he says is, you're going to go into these lands and you're going to drive people out, but there's going to be this residue from them uh, of their practices there'll be people there'll be belief systems that you're going to go into and he's telling them you have to be so purposed to protect your mind and heart from this because these things won't lead you toward god so that's the context let me read it Uh, these are verses 9 uh, through 14. he says when you come into the land that the lord your god is giving you you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them, so the nation they're about to conquer, driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations, which you are about to dispossess, uh, which, I'm sorry, for, uh, for these nations, which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. So as they go into this, this group, or into these nations, and they drive them out, these people did not have a relationship with a living God. They, they would have had mm-hmm. relationships with false gods that they created from their own minds. And so they were creating all these methods to basically try to figure out how to survive. And God's like, 
don't do that. <laughs> you know, right. Like, don't follow the people that I'm conquering. Like, don't like right. your God's real. I'm giving you power. You're going to conquer them. Don't look for life where life can't be found. Look for life in me. Uh, but he's challenging them to really to evaluate and to judge the culture in which you live and to be separate. This is really difficult, right? Yeah. For us, because I think for each one of us, we don't realize the impact that the culture has on us until someone exposes it. Yeah. Uh, we just kind of, like for all of us, we naturally think as Americans. We've, we've been born and raised in America. We have an American perspective. That can be good, but that can be bad, right? Um, so uh, for you guys, as you think about the, the tension for you individually about how you protect your mind and heart, for you both as parents, Michael has three children, you have two children, I have four. That, that calling that we have to protect our lives, to protect our children, just talk about that tension, uh, how difficult that is to actually honor what God is calling them to do. Yeah, for me, you know, before I can even talk about my kids I, <clears throat> and to be able to teach them, well, I have to like, think about myself and I know <laughs> how terribly impressionable I am. Like I remember as a kid, I'd watch a movie about, I'd watch like Rocky and tell my dad, I'm like, I want to be a boxer. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I'd, I'd watch, a, I'd watch Coach Carter, a basketball movie and tell my dad, like, I'm going to be in the NBA. And he's like, no, you're not. I promise. I promise you're not going to be in the NBA. <laughs> you're going to be five, six for the rest of your life. Um, yeah. But I just remember it, it's so easy for, even to this day as an adult, I'll meet, I'll meet and talk to somebody, especially dynamic and walk away feeling like, man, I want to be like that person. You know, I just mm -hmm. think. When we see something interesting, when we see something cool, something that we're naturally drawn to is, man, I want to be more like that. Or isn't that cool? Wouldn't it be cool if I could add that into my life in some way? And I think that because we're so impressionable in that way, this is such a, a warning sign of like, you're going to see these things, you can't do them. And, that, and so for me, when I think about my kids and guarding their hearts, I know I can't make them not impressionable. Mm -hmm. I know I can't like keep them and protect them from being impressionable. For the rest of their life, um, they're so young right now. They're literally one, two, and three. And today's my... My, my youngest daughter, she's turning one today, right? Nice. So, I'm, so I'm looking at this, this one, two, and three-year-old, and I know what my high school experience was like and my elementary school experience, and I know at one point they're going to see someone do drugs, mm -hmm. and they might think it's cool. Um, I know that they're going to see someone swearing, they're going to see a kid doing something irresponsible, potentially dangerous, and they might think, wow, wouldn't that be cool? I can't take that impulse from them because I know I still have it myself as an adult when I meet someone cool and think, wow, wouldn't it be cool to be better, more like that? What I can do, though, it's do exactly what Moses is doing. Layer truth over and over again in a way yeah, that makes sense yeah. to them. And I don't know that I can do more than that. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know that. I think it's unrealistic to think like if I can just like be like teach them good enough, then they won't. I don't know. They're probably going to be tempted as I am. But right. I want to layer truth and, and show God to them in such a real dramatic way that even if they are confronted with things and think, wow, isn't that cool? I want them to know that it's just going to leave them with okay, nothing. Th that last line, I think, is the key. You want to model it so clearly to them that they see it as truth to you and the right. power of it through your life. When you Man, look at so all good. these things that he's saying, like it, it's so weird for me um, it, when I'm reading these things, like I've never, there's never been a temptation in my life to go talk to a fortune teller, right. a medium, a witch, a sorcerer. Like that's just not my world. I realize other nations around the world that's yeah. more prevalent, but it's just not to me. But why were they doing it? they were trying to find a source of power, mm -hmm. wow. right? Yeah. Their life was yeah. so overwhelming. Whatever little benefit they could get Jeez. from like talking to someone who is dead, talking to this powerful, moving, you know, getting, doing these spells so that something can work on my behalf, they were longing for power, but power is not found in false gods. For us, modeling for our children the truth, mm -hmm. yeah. and they see that power, that instills in them, this is the way to go. So wow. that when they yeah. see something fake, 
they can compare it to something they've seen real, right. and, and they'll be able to weigh the difference of it. Mom and dad, who I love so much, live this way. They see the fruit of it. Mm-hmm. I want to live like mom and dad. So that when you do speak the words and say, no culture is wrong, they go, I believe it because you believe it. Yeah, it means more. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, Megan and I literally just had last week a two-hour conversation about this because we noticed that schools are changing. You know, mm-hmm. the dynamic of what kids are being exposed to is earlier and earlier and earlier. And so we are very purposed about having regular conversations with our kiddos about sitting down with them, giving them very practical sides of things, but also how that spiritually, how spiritual, you know, our spiritual lives comes into play with that, how mm-hmm. God being introduced into those moments. And I'm surprised at how often I use personal experiences, how yeah. I talk about, well, <laughs> dad, mom, we dealt with that. We mm-hmm. walked through that. We experienced that same thing. And although it's hard for you to understand that fully now you're going to have to trust us and understand that when we say no to this, when we say yes to this, when we mm-hmm. say we don't want you in this environment, it's for a very good reason because not only have we experienced it, but we also want to protect you from those very same things. And so there is a practical side of it of here's how we can protect you. We can keep you from watching the, this content. You know, mm-hmm, we can sure. keep you from being influenced by these particular friends. But the spiritual side of it plays so much the most important role into it because even as you were saying, it is the thing that influences our hearts. It is right. the thing that influences their motivations for doing things. And if it's just always, you know, don't do that, mm-hmm. you know, it, it doesn't make sense to them. But if it's, here's why we do that, you know, mm-hmm. and even as he's explaining it in Deuteronomy, here's why we don't expose ourselves to these things because it pulls our hearts away. It pulls right. us away. Yeah. I think those things are sometimes more impactful mm-hmm. than simply saying yes or no or do or don't, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, th- there's no way for them to avoid when you're in a culture to see cultural things. Right, you know, yeah, we sure. know that as parents. Michael hasn't dealt with this quite a bit yet just because of the right. age of your children. Um, but I, I know we have mm-hmm. where we, Mary and I have been very purposed to create a culture with our children that they can bring any question to us at any time, and we always celebrate it. So it can be a question that when they, like, Dad, what does this word mean? And they, they say the most inappropriate word because they heard it at school. In my mind, I'm so furious that they had to hear this word, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's a wonderful question. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad yeah. you brought that to me. But we want to create a, a safety so that we can have conversations because yeah, we so know good. we can't avoid them being exposed. But what we can give is is truth. We can create this culture. So even last week, I, was, I, I have this ongoing dad joke with my kids. Every time I take them to any movie or anything and there's a cuss word in there, I'll say, like, so if it's during the movie and they cuss, I'll, I'll lean over and I'll say, uh, don't repeat that word. <laughs> or, or going into the movie, I'll say, hey, you're going to hear words today. And they go, yeah, we're not supposed to repeat it. It's so funny to me. It's not funny to them. But the other day I was just talking. I was like, hey, we're going to see this movie. I said, I need to research it first just to make sure, but it might have you know, a little bit more language. And my one son said, hey, dad, you know we go to public school, right? <laughs> and uh, it, you know what's dumb as it sounds? I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah you that, literally yeah, are hearing ass words right. all day long, right? right. Yeah. Um, but, but what I love about it is they're also getting the exposure at church of the positive. Right. You don't have to speak that way. They don't hear cuss words at home. And, and I think even in, in our home life, I'm being more purposed now. I realized almost 100% of my Bible study is out of the, the sight of my kids because I'm either upstairs in my room because it's just mm. it's easy. I sit on my bed and like I have a rhythm to it, or I'm at, at work. I'm at, and so they... They see me preach every week, so they know I'm reading the Bible, but right. like I don't do it in front of them. So I'm being purposed now even to do devotions from our, our dining room table, like That's which good. is out in our open area, because I want to have them exposed to this, too. Mm-hmm. They, I want them to see mom and dad, because Mary does her devotions in the morning. So they're getting ready for school. She has her Bible open. 
they're seeing mom do it. You know, it's a competition. I want to be more spiritual than Mary. <laughs> and no, I'm just kidding. But As so, it should be, yeah. Right, yeah. I'm the, the father. <laughs> right, yeah. And the pastor. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, but, and everyone's like, no, Mary's you know, more spiritual than that. <laughs> right. no, but anyway, you get what I'm saying. But yeah, there's yeah, another yeah. line in here that I want to highlight. And this, mm-hmm. this is going to get like real, like in, in the face of, of people. So there's this line in here that actually is a, it's an odd translation, maybe in a bad translation, but it said, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Many Bibles will have, and this one is no different. The ESV has a little side note, and in it it says the actual Hebrew language is makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. Mm. And most of what people actually believe is not that they were sacrificing their children in fire, though that could have been a thing, a human sacrifice. More, more what more suspect is that there was some ritual going on that they would walk with the children through fire as a way of devoting them to the God of Moloch, is what many mm-hmm. of them believe, because that was what the culture worshipped. They were literally dedicating, this cultures were dedicating their children to false gods. This is what's going to feel like in your face, like to, to maybe the listeners and, and those that are watching. But I don't mean it to be, but I, I want it to be a sobering thing. The chances of the Israelites burning their kids would have been zero to none, right? I mean, right. like that would have been so foreign. We love our children. We're not going to sacrifice them that way. But the idea of dedicating your children to a false god, that might seem extreme too. But think about how many families dedicate their children to all types of things besides God. Hmm. And, and, and families will say, you know, basically, I'm not going to force my kid to go to church, but I'm going to force my kid to go to school. I'm going to force my kid to honor their commitment to baseball and to softball and to basketball. I'm going to you know, allow my kid to do these activities. And again, I don't want to be harsh. I don't want to be dramatic. But isn't that a form of dedicating your children towards something besides God? And this is what he's warning them about. These cultures do not put a relationship with the Almighty God as a priority. They dedicate their children to these false concepts. And this is what we're seeing over and over in in our world and even in our church, where people are dedicating their children and then shocked Mm -hmm. when their kids don't follow the path of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, Michael, I want you to... (laughs) No, no, okay. (laughs) Will you deal with that, right? So, so, like I said, my my kids are so young, this is all theory. You know what I mean? They're not, like, they can barely talk. Yeah, but but you still see it, right? Yeah, absolutely. You see it in the youth ministry. Absolutely. I see it in our church. And the reality is when we do that with our kids, what we're telling them, whether it's subconscious or conscious, intentional or unintentional, it's still happening. You're telling that you're, you're teaching them a core value system and you're teaching them about, about value in general of mm-hmm. like, Hey, this is what's important. School is really important. Your grades, super important. Your friendships, super important. Uh, sports, really important. Church is not so important. Right. Right. So here's the problem with that. First of all, that's a bad strategy in life in general, because yeah. none of those things bring you while they might be great and, and wonderful and give you quality of life. They're not, they don't have any healing elements. They don't make mm-hmm. your life better long-term that certainly won't bring you salvation. Right. But the problem is what you're teaching your kid for the rest of their life is that when things get complicated and tough, they know exactly what to go to. Very rarely church because it was Absolutely. never a priority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for me, I want to live my life in a way. I feel like one of the best gifts I could give my kids is for them to see the power of the Holy Spirit through me mm-hmm. and to see the way I prioritize that mm-hmm. and to see the way they prioritize the church. And then hopefully one day when their life gets really weird and really complicated and really difficult, they don't run to all the other things that I valued over church and over my mm-hmm. relationship with God. And I feel like every time we do that, again, I'm not accusing people of intentionally just like, it's exactly, it's, it's not as aggressive as like, as, as, as sacrificing one of your kids by fire, or even walking them through this or in, in dedicating them to a God. But man, I feel like the consequences are identical because what you're telling, a great line. you know what I mean? Word, yeah. consequences are the consequences are identical. You're telling your kids that this is the value. This is what's important. This is what will help you. And then all of a sudden one day they might realize that no, it won't. 
mm-hmm. that that's not the value, that it won't save you, that thing won't give you the peace that you need. And then they're lost and they're angry and they're frustrated and they don't have, they're not ready to cope with life, mm-hmm. you know, and that scares me. Yeah. And I think it is way too easy to fall into that rhythm, whether you are Christian or not, you know what I mean? Yeah. To just get in the mindset of this is how everybody else is doing it around me. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to fall right into that same rhythm. And uh, right. we make a, a, a really hard point to when kid, my kids are going through things that the first question that we ask ourselves is how can God be invited into this situation? So mm-hmm. it's just kind of a rhythm for us is how can God influence us? How can God impact us? How can God change us? How can he heal us and comfort us? Whatever the answer is for that so that it becomes a natural rhythm for my kiddos, you know, when they're faced with, do I choose to go play baseball for seven hours or do I choose to spend, you know, some time with God or, or whatever, right. you know, whatever those tensions yeah. are that arise. So, yeah. yeah. This is like a real, a real, real world consequence of that. This is like, this is pretty vulnerable, but I feel like I, I promise there are people who are going to watch this and listen to this. You can identify with it. Uh, we joked at the beginning that my family, we're not really Italian. We're a bunch of imposters, but I, I was raised thinking I was Italian and what do Italian people do? They come together and they eat a bunch of food and they hang out. So for my coping mechanism for my adult life has been when I get stressed, when I get sad, I think about what's nostalgic, what I taught to do when I feel <laughs> bummed is I eat a lot of food and I hang out. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. One day all of a sudden you realize that, you know what that's brought me? A lot of unhealth. You know what I mean? Right. It's brought me unhealthy heating ha- eating habits that then you have to correct and you have to go back and you got to figure out how to control like, you know, do diet and work all this stuff. And it's like, man, I, I wish, and I'm not like throwing my parents under the bus. I think this is something that like a lot of people culturally deal with, but but I do wish from a younger age, I would have learned healthier coping mechanisms. Like, Hey, we, this is just what we do. Right. We just eat a bunch mm-hmm. of food and we hang out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If I would have learned from a parent who would have been like, you know what, when you're stressed, you know, what's great working out and praying. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like imagine how yeah. different my yeah. life really, how different my quality of life would be, you know? And that's right. just like a real, and I promise if you think about your own life, you'll come up with that stuff too. You'll come up with stuff of like, sure. okay, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, offering up my kids to, to a false God, mm-hmm. but what am I teaching them? You know what I mean? And what is going to stick with them potentially for, really long time absolutely yeah. Yeah. There, there's no way to deny it that if you don't make church a priority you are clearly communicating to your kids that god's not a priority wow and, and there's a lot of people that like to ask the question and say the statement i don't have to go to church to be a christian and it's like well, i could argue with you on yeah, that one right but I, I will say this what you're modeling to your kids is very clear mm-hmm. you know that mm-hmm. that god's just simply not a priority and, and i agree like we what michael was saying thank you first of all for being vulnerable about that but like each one of us has something different as a mechanism yeah i realized years ago for me it was shopping um and it wouldn't even, didn't have to be high-end issues like i wasn't spending money and getting into large debt but whenever i was stressed if i would just buy something it could be small it could sure. be you know get on even now like amazon prime and buy a ten dollar item that uh, moment of just, just feels like, good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah I, feel, for sure. I feel better. And yeah, I realize certainly I don't want that rhythm. I, right. I want to have a rhythm where I go, no, God, I want you to be the source of, of my peace in my life. And so in this, what, what, what Moses is encouraging them, look at the culture around you, critique it, challenge it, mm-hmm. put a focus on God. And then for those that, that have children's and families, like model that for your kids. But it, it does begin with the individual. Right. If parents aren't doing this first and foremost for themselves, where it's a real relationship with God, they're never going to model that for their kids. Right. And the truth of it is parents sometimes use their kids' activities as an excuse because church isn't a priority to them. Right. But if church was a priority to them first, then it would be a priority to their kids. And uh, wow. but that's challenging, right? Because mm-hmm. culture yeah. doesn't, doesn't model that for us. All right, so let's go on. So this last section that we're going to look at in chapter 18 what Moses is talking about is he's going to have them look forward. He's recognizing his leadership is going to transition. Mm-hmm. Moses has been this incredible leader. That really is the book of Deuteronomy. 
It, it is after the 40 years in the wilderness, they're on the, really on the, just on the edge of going into the promised land. He knows he's not going to be the next generational leader. So he's reminding them of everything they've, they've learned. They're about to go into the future. And so he's preparing them. He's saying, you know, you know that I was God's spokesperson to you. You mm-hmm. asked for it. When God spoke on the mountain, you heard his voice. You said, that was terrifying. Will you be a, a go-between? Will you be the mediator between us? So Moses was that role. He spoke for God as a prophet, spoke to the people, told them what God desired, what God was commanding them to do. But Moses is like, I'm not going to be here always. So right. someone's going to come later. So that's the context for this. Let's read it, and then we'll break it down, because there is some, some even deeper prophetic to this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers, it is him you shall listen. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more lest I die. Because the people were actually afraid. When, mm-hmm. when God was speaking, the mountains right. on fire, they thought this is going to get worse and worse, and then we're going to be wiped out. So God's presence, the holy presence of God, the powerful presence of God, is overwhelming to unholy people. Mm-hmm. So they, mm-hmm. they were struggling with that. So he says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak uh, in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. So I'm going to pause there. So God says, I'm going to raise up other people. Here's what we know in, in the the beauty and the mystery of prophecy mm-hmm. is that th- when they were speaking for God, there was some immediate impact to it. It could right. be something that's happening like soon that day or in the in the upcoming season. There were things that were happening in the future, and then some things that would happen in the distant future, and then even some things that are yet to happen. So right. prophecy is really dynamic that way. I'll talk about part of what he was talking about, and you talk about how even the the imagery of Christ that sure. fulfills this yeah. to more. Moses is recognizing that this has been God's rhythm, that he raises up individuals to be leaders to people. Uh, I think it's important for people to understand that dynamic. Mm-hmm. And, and I know it sounds self-serving as a lead pastor saying that, right. but he was saying God raises up people just like you, and he speaks to them. He puts callings on their life, and he anoints them for leadership. You need to submit. You need to listen to their words. And so God was going to do that. The next one that we know of would be Joshua. Mm-hmm. Joshua was this incredibly faithful man. Uh, he was only one of two that were willing to obey initially to go into the promised land, him and Caleb, uh, where all the others said, no, there's giants in the land. They were like, yeah, there's giants. Our God is bigger. Let's do it. But obviously there was fear, so they wandered for 40 years. He was super faithful to Moses. He stood outside. Whenever Moses would go into the tent of meeting, Joshua would stand guard on the outside. Incredible leader. He would become the next generation leader. He would be the prophet for them. God mm-hmm. would speak to him. Mm-hmm. He would speak to the people. God would do miracles through his life. We, knew there, we know that there's other prophets that would come later. Some of the ones, the Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, we, like we know a whole line of them. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, there would be another prophet like John the Baptist. John the Baptist would prepare the way for the people. But all of them were pointing toward a, a more perfect fulfillment in the voice of God, who is obviously the Christ, the Messiah, who is Jesus. Brandon, will you, will you speak to that, just uh, of that, what that means and... Yeah, I'm currently reading and studying the book of Hebrews, and a lot of the context for that scripture is based around this concept of here's your history, understand your history, it's powerful, but really all points to this very moment that Christ came, he died, he becomes your high priest, and and the list goes on and on. He's your king, all of these things. And in what I was reading when I was studying, one of the references spoke to this concept that 
that this prophecy was really speaking somewhat to Jesus and what he would come to fulfill. I mean, even in verse 18, they specifically talks about this idea of from your brothers, that he's from a Jewish descent, you mm-hmm. know, that he's from that heritage that they would have been familiar with, that he was in the form of man, that he became man as they are man, you know, that type of concept. And that he would be, that God would put his word in him and he would speak the words, the very words of God. You know, we read throughout scripture that Jesus says, I've come to speak for my father on behalf right. of my father. The words that I've been given are not mine, they're, they're God's, you know, mm-hmm. and so I'm speaking on his behalf. And then even the thoughts of, you know, Moses did all these wonderful signs and wonders. You spoke to that, but also that Jesus was the one who did right. incredible miracles right. and signs and wonders. And then finally, this idea at the end of 19, he talks about that thought. It's kind of a weird wording, but require it of him, meaning that the person who doesn't listen to scripture or follow the Mm -hmm. words of Christ will be judged ultimately by Christ and he will be the judgment for them. So just some of those things I thought that kind of was unique and hinted. A a super powerful image. Okay, like so let's let's just look at it in the physical for a moment. Mm -hmm. There's a a real immediate a choice and consequence. If if Moses speaks to the people and the people disobeyed Moses, mm-hmm. there was like an immediate consequence to that, right? There would be the same with Joshua. I think all people that would read the scripture now, looking at this backstory, would see Moses speak, and the assumption that they would make reading the Bible is, oh, you need to do that, right? Right? Like right. of everything, because he's this man of God, following God, speaking yeah. to God, for God. Same thing with Joshua. As far as I can remember, Joshua didn't have any recorded compromises of character. So when Joshua speaks, you would read that in Scripture and go, oh, man, they need to listen to him. And yet we don't have that same conviction with the word of God of Jesus teaching that we look at it and say, oh, you better do that. Right. Mm-hmm. You'd be a fool not to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. But there's that, that tension that it, we're almost dismissive of it as if some reason it becomes um, an option. It, yeah. it, it becomes a, a choice, like you can choose to do this or not to do that. It's more like a, mm-hmm. a re, uh, someone's giving a recommendation, mm-hmm. right? I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, when I, I do that all the time when I read specifically the Old Testament. I'll read something, and it will feel so preposterous to me of like, hey, what a bunch of idiots. Like, why, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like, why wouldn't you do that? That's so obvious. Yeah. Uh, like, who builds a golden cap? What were you expecting to happen as I look at my cell phone? <laughs> as I'm like scrolling on Twitter, just like, oh, interesting. Like, yeah. as I'm making every single other thing but yeah. God the priority okay, in that present yeah. moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Literally this week, I was doing my <laughs> devotions. This is awful. People will never respect me again. <laughs> I was doing my devotions. I just got done. I was sitting in my office and I got done with the Bible and I started to read and I found my, or I started to pray. I'm sorry. I started to pray. I got done reading, started to pray. And I realized I had my phone open. I was praying as I was scrolling with my thumb mm. and I went, what in the world am I, what yeah, am I doing? Exactly. I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah, that totally. was the rhythm of it. It yeah. was just, someone had like a text had gone off. I read the text and then I just started going through my email and I was going like, you know, God be with me today. And, and I went, yeah, yeah, it's so gross, yeah. right? I was yeah, like, totally. put my phone down. I was like, sorry about that, yeah, guys. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah. no, but, well, that happens all the time where, where, again, you read something so outside of your cultural norm. Where today, if like someone, in, we live in Lancaster, Ohio, somebody's like, we're going to do a, a golden calf. And be like, that, that's so weird. Like, even if I <laughs> Maybe not. A, yeah, even if I wasn't a Christian, I'd be like, no. <laughs> like, I, don't want, <laughs> I don't want my tax dollars going to that. It's weird. <laughs> like, you know, but, but the, at the time, that was culturally normative. And that's right. why it would have been expected. So. Yeah. So sometimes when we read this stuff, instead of thinking they're so preposterous and silly for making you know, these same silly mistakes over and over again, 
I would think about my cultural context. Yeah. What silly mistakes that's so obvious. Mm -hmm. They're like, man, I'm so obviously making that an idol, but I just feels normal to me. And it feels, mm -hmm. it may be, you know, if Jesus doesn't come back a hundred years from now, my, my grandkids will talk about like, I can't believe they, like, I can't believe that was just like, you know, I can't believe that generation worshiped their phones. Yeah, for real. Yeah. I saw yeah. a guy talk about that in an interview. We were just like, I think we're a generation of from parents or kids making fun of their parents. Like, Oh, you want to see an impression of my dad? Just, Oh yeah, just scrolling because at some point they're going to be bummed with it. You know, I've, I okay talk about embarrassing things. This literally happened to me like maybe two months ago. I was on my phone, and you know, you know how toddlers just have that habit of being like, "Hey, look, look, watch me do this right, thing," yeah. and then they just mm -hmm. jump two inches in the air, and then you go like, "Oh, you're incredible, right?" But right. <laughs> <laughs> or they just spin real quick, and it's like, "Good job, you did it," right? That gets really frustrating. So Darby, uh, she's my oldest. She's like, "Dad, look," and I'm like, "Look," I'm like, "Yeah, it's so cool." And then she like grabbed my phone. She goes, "No, look at me," and I was like, "Ah, that felt." That wrong, felt right. Oh yeah, I made know. me feel I've had really the same bad. My sons have done that recently. Oh, and I was just like, and I'm looking at her little face, and I'm like, that, uh, you know, I don't know what trauma I just caused, but there's going to be something there someday. But I just know that the things we do now, eventually, the same way that we look at this, is so not normal. It's not going to be normal forever. And it's gonna be like, how did they miss it? Mm -hmm. How are they so obsessed with Facebook? How are they so obsessed mm -hmm. with the internet and with their cell phones? And it's going to feel so obvious. But for right now, it's so easy to put it on a pedestal, and it's just that constant reminder that the best thing we could possibly do is to be so deep in submission to the Holy Spirit that we're so aware of when it happens. Because yep. we are blind. We are blind to the right now impact, and I don't want to be. And the only way to get past that, certainly not going to be my conventional wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. The conviction and the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. You know, It's good stuff. All right, so the last verse that we read, he, he talks about there's a, a serious consequence for someone who does come and claim to be speaking for God and not actually speaking for mm -hmm. God. And he's like, that person should be put to death. And we, we talked about that in the last Bible study, that that, that seems really yeah. harsh uh, in, our, in our culture nowadays. But this is what God could do because the justice of God. And he's just trying to establish across the board the foundation of what it's going to be like. These last couple of verses, I, I'm not trying to pivot into a super controversial thing, but I, but I want to because he's going to talk about false prophecy. And all of this that we've looked at today has this context that we need to be outwardly focused mm -hmm. to observe what is wrong, what's right. displeasing to God, not in a arrogant judgmental way where Correct. we go, we are holy, look at how bad they are, right. but to protect. So there has, and Jesus told us to do the same thing. There's often that, that misunderstood passage, judge not lest you be judged. And people right. go, Oh, it's Christians. We can't judge anything mm -hmm. in the exact same, in the exact same passage. He says, judge a person by their fruit. <laughs> right. You'll know the yeah. false prophets because you can look at their behavior. Right. So there is a way to do it. And so we have to evaluate. So he gives a way to evaluate. He goes, you want to know how a person's a false prophet? And so he goes in and he explains it to him. So these are the last few verses of this chapter that we'll discuss. He says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has spoken? He said, and he goes on and explains, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, <laughs> That is a word that the Lord has not spoken. Right. Mm -hmm. The prophet has not or has spoken it presumptuously. And then he just says this. You need not be afraid of him. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that guy's not speaking for God. He doesn't have any power. Just don't be afraid of him. Yeah. yeah. Now, what he means is don't be afraid of him. Kill him. Like, so it's, it's, a, it's an odd verse, right? Okay. In that sense. But here's what we see. We see, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of pivot to the church world. Okay. We see in the church world false prophets. Mm -hmm. we, we see in the church world uh, men and women who get up in the name of God and make proclamations of false theology, make, make prophetic words to the future that don't come to pass. And, and there's a tension. So again, this is not where I'm trying to get controversial, but I'm going to, we saw this in the last election. Yeah, there were a lot time. of Christians 
that prophetically spoke and said President Trump will win. Mm-hmm. When he lost, they said, well, he will by this date be reinstated, then by this date, and by this date. We had people emailing in, what do you think about these prophetic words? This person is obviously a prophet. And I remember, this is kind of what I quoted to them. Yeah. I didn't actually quote this verse, but this was the principle I quoted, is, well, we'll see. Yeah. Do you think this is true? And I said, we'll see. Right. And then when he doesn't, we have to be able to know and look at that and say, that person is not speaking for God. Now, some of those individuals came out in, in total humility and said, I missed it. Yeah, I'm I can so think of sorry. a couple. Yeah. Right. And then they got persecuted by the church world. Right. People were like, no, don't admit you're, that you're down. wrong. Yeah, don't yeah. back down and stuff. But they had humility. I, I, yeah. Man, for me as a pastor, I go, I get that. Okay, you know, yeah. we, uh, there's grace. But there were others that just moved on yep. as if it wasn't a thing. We see other people like, I'm going to name a name only for the sake of, um, just for clarity, like a Kenneth Copeland. Sure. Is yeah. a false prophet. Yeah. I mean, he has spoken things over and over that have not come to pass. We have to have even an element in the church world where we evaluate the words of pastors. Right. And, and we look at them and say, okay, is what they're saying supported by Scripture? Is what they're saying, if they're speaking in a prophetic nature, if it doesn't come to pass, we have to mark them. Not in, not in arrogance, but we have to say, you know what, that person's not speaking for God. I don't want to invest my future into yeah. their words. Yeah, absolutely. And, and here's where I, where I would encourage you. This might be really challenging to hear if you're in that space. Like if you're somebody mm-hmm. who, mm-hmm. man, you've heard some of these people speak and you really believe it. And it's like, well, th- well, I've even heard people excuse it away of trying to make it logistically. Well, you know, well, the prophecy would have come true if it weren't for like this person getting right, in the way yeah. or this thing. It's like, that's not how prophecy sure, works. Yeah. Like God wouldn't have been like, oh, you, you meddled with my plan too much. It's like, I don't, yeah. I'm I not think, sovereign anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> I think God's sovereignty is big enough, right? To handle, right. you know, people being sinful. So to me, if you're in a place where you're following a teacher or, um, or really believing a teacher or defending something that they said that is not happening, that is false. Even in spite of the fact that it's not true and it's obviously that's come to pass, but you're still in that space where you want to defend and support them, there is a strong chance that you care more about what they're saying than you actually care about the value of like what that's God good. has Absolutely. for you. Absolutely. So good. Yeah. Big red flag. Yeah. Where it's like, man, I, I care more about this concept. Uh, it could be a political belief. It could just be an emotional response to something mm-hmm. that you wanted to happen. That's totally normal too. And none of that is necessarily bad. A political belief and emotional responses aren't bad, but it does become idolatry the second that that becomes more valuable than what the word of God actually so says. Good, so if you're in a place where you're just like, man, I really believe this person and I'm defending it and I'm defending it. And it's a point of tension, me and my relationships, or even you're getting angry about it. I would really, really encourage you to read this passage like 10 times and sit on it and just think like, God, what do you have for me in this situation? Um, because I find myself doing it in my own life of like, where I'll care too much about something rather than the actual value that God would have for my for life. Sure, and, yeah. I, you know, uh, I, it's just never led me to a good place. I can't one time say that that was holy or good right. or good, you know, good for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there is for all of us the need to always make sure that when a word is spoken, that our first response isn't just to absorb it automatically as if mm-hmm. it is true, Very true, but to take it to God and to make sure that we're viewing it through that lens because I don't know if it's out of laziness sometimes on our part or what, but sometimes we do just automatically accept something as truth versus, well, I'm going to take and pursue Christ in this. I'm going to take and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, and look at the word of God and see how it can guide, you know, in in this, whatever that truth might be that that is spoken. Dude, I'm suspicious. Anytime someone tells me something that I like, (laughs) you know what I mean? It needs to be that point that if it, if it hits me, I'm like, Oh, that, I like that. that You know what I mean? One of the things that's always fascinating to me, so I, I want to be clear, I'll put this disclaimer out there. 
I, I believe in the prophetic ministry. Absolutely. I, I yes. believe in prophetic yes. words. I, I talk about it. I, I, our staff, I, I teach yeah. us on it. We practice the concept of encouraging words to each other that God might speak. Right. So I am, I'm for the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not anti them in any way. But one of the things that I find fascinating, and I say this in the negative, it's a, it's a negative fascination, is those people who are biggest in, our, in the church world as prophets are always prophesying good things over the church in the sense of like revival is around the corner, right. God's blessings around the corner, your, your corner, your healing is around the corner. Yeah. It's always positive. Right. In my experience, when I look at scripture, I think when has the generation of followers of God consistently right. been following God and honoring God? The prophetic words at times from, from spiritual authority needs to be words of correction yeah. at times, and you just don't see it. Yeah. So I agree with you. What you're saying is so many people go, oh, I want to follow this person because they only say good things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want to hear them because they always speak good things. Like there's a, a story in the scriptures where there's the, the two kings, uh, Israel and Judah, where they come together, and the one king is actually following God and the one other king's not. He goes, the, the, the king that's following God goes, well, do you have any prophets? And he goes, well, like I have these guys, and they all say good stuff. And he's like, yeah, but do you have any real prophets? Like you can right, tell they're not yeah. real. He goes, well, there's one, but he never says anything yeah. good. And I don't <laughs> want to hear that. I hate that guy. <laughs> so, so that guy shows up, and they yeah. go, they're like the other prophets warn him, like you right. better say something yeah, good. Yeah. So he comes out, and he mocks him. He's like, oh, king, you're going to be successful. <laughs> you're going to do that. And they go, the guy goes, how many times did I tell you to quit lying? And he goes, fine, you're going to die. Yeah. And they're like, see, I told you. This is what the king says. He's like, see, I told you. He never says anything good. But that's the word you need to listen to is when the guy says, you know what? I realize this isn't positive, yeah. but God is speaking that we need to be challenged. And, and that's my caution as a pastor is don't just find people who say things you like, yeah. right? who are on, yeah. find people who you have confidence. There's a mixture. Mm -hmm. yep. So like for me as a pastor, I, I'm speaking about grace on Sundays. You know, I'm talking about that. But I think anyone that's attended our church knows there are weeks I get up and I say, you know what? We don't do this well. Right. This is what, and we have to challenge people. Uh, in that area. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know if this is a great example, but I'm reading through the book of Revelation, which is always a bit of a mystery. But if you read in what is spoken to the churches at that time, it's both and. It's, it is both and. You know, a matter of you guys are doing this really, really well, but right. here's what you need to change in your behavior. You know, here's what, you know, is good and here's what yeah. maybe right. you need to correct. And so. if you change grace, right. I give you grace. Absolutely. Right. I'm, Absolutely. I'm challenging you not to shame you. I'm challenging right. you so that you might change, so that I might bless you. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that's and that's what's so dangerous about only surrounding yourself by voices that agree with you because it eliminates Absolutely. the potential for change yeah. and growth. 100%. Right. Like, man, if you only ever agree with me, I never learn anything new. <laughs> I would like to think that I have enough maturity that I don't want to be wrong. I don't right. know. I, I don't even know that that's maturity. I think that's just humans. <laughs> like, I think we inherently like to be right. I don't know anybody who sets out of like, I want to be inaccurate. Like, that's <laughs> like, this is, I want to be really ignorant. I don't think anybody wants that. So for me, if I knew better, I would do better for the most part. You know, right. if I, if you were to confront me in something and if you were to tell me that I'm wrong and prove it to me, then I would change it. And the reason why I haven't yet is because I need that education. I need people around me to mm -hmm. tell me what is wrong, what uh, a better cultural lens, a better biblical lens, a better a, a teaching. That's why we go to church on Sundays to have someone ideally tell us, this is where we're missing it. This is where we can get better. Yeah. Here's where the grace is. And if you don't have someone like that in your life, and it's just people, you, it's, it's, right. it's, it's, there's so much safety being surrounded by people who love you enough to say, oh, this is sure. not right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, and my life has only ever gotten better for that. Yeah. You know? yeah. A loving parent corrects their kids. A loving God corrects his children yeah. too. Love yeah. it. Absolutely. Right. Well guys, awesome study today. Thank you so much uh, for, for your insights. Thank you for your vulnerability. And uh, I know it's a blessing to me to hear it. So I, I'm sure those that are engaging are blessed too. So everyone, thank you for joining us and uh, we hope to see you next time.
Well, thanks for joining us today. As always, we pray that it is a blessing to you. And here's what we ask. We want many people to be exposed to these truths. So if it is a blessing to you, please share it. You can do that on social media. You can do that through even just sending the link to family and friends. And when you share it, you give God an opportunity to plant those seeds in other people's hearts. And then God will promise to water them and bring fruit in people's lives. So thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. And we pray that this is a blessing to you.